today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A couple of stories that just caught my eye, and I want to get to the era of thinking with Air Transat in just a couple of minutes, because that's a fascinating story, too, especially in light of the uh, pullback from Air Canada to buy Transat. Apparently, this is not the death knell for Air Transat. At least they say it's not anyway. But we'll talk about that in just a second. I want to talk about uh, electric cars as well. And uh, to do all of this, we're so pleased to welcome back to the program Marvin Ryder, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Marvin, great to have you back. Hope you did well this weekend. I'm glad to be with you, Bill. Yes, what a glorious time. It was. It was, and it's a harbinger of things to come, I hope, as we get into the nicer weather. Uh, let's talk about electric cars. And we've talked about well, Tesla and the announcement by Ford a couple of months ago that they were going to go into this in a big way, that uh, General Motors is also uh, talking about, uh, you know, investing millions and millions of dollars in this. And lo and behold, a name from the past, Frank Stronach, comes along um, and all of a sudden says he wants to be the first out of the gate with a small car. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> no, I didn't see it coming either. Now, in fairness to Frank, I think he's 88 years old, and so I, I sort of assumed he was enjoying his retirement years, maybe uh, in Florida or golfing or something like this. But those innovative juices, the engineering juices, are still flowing strongly through his veins. Now, Bill, this is, this is not quite what I would call a car in the traditional <laughs> sense that you and I think of it. The name of this thing, and this, he needs a little marketing help. This name is never going to catch on. It's called Sarat. I won't try to give you what all the letters stand for, but it's about the width of a doorway, and it's just for <laughs> one person. The width of a doorway, and it's just for one person. It does have a trunk so that you could put some groceries in there. or a, a, Oh, a maybe a loaf of bread. Of yeah, you know, but, but it's a one-person vehicle, electric, and it's very much designed for an urban market, so that if you have to run around, do neighborhood chores, what have you, you could do this. Now, my concern is, you know, um, lovely idea, lovely idea, but it's kind of like a, a pregnant bicycle. It's, it's just <laughs> so small. What if there was a windy day? And I, I've lived in Ontario long enough to know that we get some, some pretty good winds at times. I have a feeling this thing would just blow over in a strong wind, and I would never want to go over something like the Burlington Bay Skyway Bridge in it, or I might just find myself in the middle of Lake Ontario. So it's an interesting concept, and I give them full marks for concept. I'm just not sure how commercially viable it's going to be. By the way, our research, uh, crack research staff has looked into this, and SARIT stands for Safe, Affordable, Reliable, Innovative Transport. Uh, and you're right, he needs marketing help. <laughs> but I, you're right, I saw the prototype on this. And this is the the thing, and I'm, I'm not against electric vehicles. You know, I think my wife drives a hybrid for now, and we're, you know, we're totally in favor of the technology, and I like yep. to see it develop. But this is Canada, Marvin, as you mentioned. Uh, these little things are fine if you're going from, you know, Westdale to downtown or something like this. Uh, but this is a big country, and we usually travel long distances. And, and a vehicle like this, I know he's talking about urban transit, but that's not going to be the solution for a lot of people. No. Well, and it's also not clear to me, given its size, remember, it's the width of a doorway, so you could actually put two of these things side by side in a traditional lane. Would they, for instance, run on bicycle lanes? Is that the idea that they would run on bicycle lanes? Um, I, I just, I'm just not clear on what the, what the concept really is. And to me, Bill, I, if I was going to have a, an electric vehicle that wasn't a car, I think a golf cart. I like the idea of a golf cart. <laughs> There's some width and stability there, but this is uh, less wide than even an electric golf cart. So I just, I'm not sure who he's making it for. 
again, full marks for the concept, full marks for you know the engineering behind the concept. I'm just not sure how commercially viable it's going to be. Well, it's three feet by six feet, as you mentioned, about the width of a doorway and about as tall as, well, six feet, is it? Uh, the maximum speed is 32 kilometers an hour. You're not going to get, it travels 100 kilometers on a single charge. So you're not going very far in this thing, are you? You're not going very far and you're not going very fast, which is, again, why it might be fine in some stop-and-go urban traffic but for instance if you're going through downtown toronto and you happen to find yourself on something like the uh, the gardner expressway you, this is not a vehicle that could even be allowed on that at 32 kilometers an hour it would actually cause more accidents than it would solve so you know i i'm what i need to hear from him or more precisely his team is what problem are you trying to solve and i always say that at the heart of all a product innovation, you should be solving a specific problem for a group of people. It's an interesting engineering concept, but does it actually solve anybody's problem? And if the answer is no, it doesn't solve anybody's problem, no one's going to buy it. Well, and therein lies the problem. And I know that, that I know the Chinese are, are developing one. It's a two-seater, actually, as opposed to the one that Mr. Stronach's talking about. But I would think that the more reliable uh, technology that, uh, that you know, if we're looking at long-term here, is what Ford and General Motors, and even yeah. our friend Elon Musk is doing, too, with Tesla, is saying, look, it, uh, we've got to increase the, the, the distance you could go on a full charge. Uh, you've got to make this affordable, and you've got to make it attractive, too. I mean, let's face it. I mean, uh, that, that still matters to an awful lot of people. And you want to know that, hey, if you're going to go on holidays, and someday we'll be allowed to do that again, uh, you want to go visit family or relatives in Ottawa, you don't want to have to stop for overnight in Kingston to charge your car again. Uh, and, and they're working on that. I mean, this, it's, it's, it's not just a pipe dream that that's going to happen. We know it's going to. But I, I, I'm agreeing with you. I don't see the market for something like this. Yeah, Bill, let me, let me just try to help you a little bit about the decisions by GM and Ford and Chrysler. Remember they're saying they are going to discontinue gas-powered vehicles in the 2030 to 2035 time frame, which yeah. is a good 10 years from now. That gives them 10 years of innovation specifically around the electric battery. Now, the electric battery has come a long way. I'm going to date myself there. I remember very much a, a television show of the 70s called Canon. And in that show, yep. Detective Cannon had a cell phone that was roughly the size of a suitcase. And why <laughs> it had to be that big was the batteries it took to operate it. Well, of course, today, a cell phone fits in the palm of your hand. And it isn't so much that the chips inside to make the phone work have changed that much. It's the battery that's made the difference. Now, today, I can take a car... Uh, and have an electric motor in there and not have the car be all battery. There is battery in there, but not all battery. And you can go about 500 kilometers between charges. That's just not quite long enough for most people. Most people want something more in the 600 to 700 kilometer range. But look, we've got to 500. Give us 10 more years. I don't see that being the problem. The one that concerns me a little more is refilling the tank. So today with my gas vehicle, when I need a refill, I go to a gas station, and probably in about five minutes I fill up, I pay for it, maybe I pick up something at the little store attached to it, and I'm back on the road again. Right now, if I stop even at a supercharging, fast-charging station, you're looking at 20 minutes to top up your tank with electrons. Now, if we can get those electrons in there faster and get you a longer distance between charges, now we've got a viable vehicle. And basically what GM, Ford, the other big companies are saying is we think we'll be there within 10 years. So I, I think you are going to have attractive-looking cars. I think you're going to have uh, um, good distances you can go on a charge.
but we just aren't quite there today. So people shouldn't judge an electric vehicle by what you see today. Remember, it's the future that we're talking about. Well, and there's one other piece of technology that you and I have talked about in the past. And I know Ford and GM and others are working on this as well, and that's the cost of the battery itself. Uh, you know, these are great machines, and, and there's an awful lot of upside to these, but uh, in, in a period of time, and I think it's after seven or eight or nine years, uh, the battery dies, and to replace that battery costs a lot of money. Uh, but, I mean, you know, Marvin, I paid a 1000 bucks for my first VCR you know, way back in the early 1980s, too. And, you know, by the time, well, nobody uses those anymore, but, I mean, by the time they were popular about five or six years ago before we all going online stuff, I mean, you could get one for 25 bucks. So, you know, that the price has got to come down, and I'm sure that's one of the things they're working on as well. The, the other side of this, Bill, also is the price of a car. Like, today you buy a Tesla, you pay a premium price for an electric vehicle, but that's because the quantities being produced are still relatively small compared to the others. So we call this economy of scale. Once you can start producing a million a year or two million a year or five million a year, the price per car starts to come down. So again, this is why I think GM, Ford, uh, Chrysler, Mercedes, what have you, are targeting 2030 to 2035. They think by then we'll have the right economies of scale. We'll have solved some of the basic technology problems. And Bill, one other thing I should mention to you too is the what we call the cost of ownership of a vehicle. Uh, when I buy a gasoline-powered vehicle, I kind of buy into the fact that every five or ten thousand kilometers I go in for an oil change. We've got to do a coolant flush. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Well, electric vehicle operates differently than gas-powered vehicle, and some of those maintenance issues start to go away. So the total cost of ownership the cost of buying the car, but then the cost of maintaining the car actually is quite comparable even today. I realize there's a lot of people, oh, but look at the price of electricity. Even today, the cost to fill your tank with electrons is at least half the price of what gasoline is, and in some cases might be a third of the price of what gasoline is. You know, when you start thinking about all the numbers, it is actually beginning to start to make sense. Uh with uh, Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Let's uh, quickly jump into the Air Transat thing. Yep. Uh, when the, the the proposed sale, Air Canada taking over Air Transat, uh, fell through a week or so ago, a lot of people thought, well, that's it, these guys, you know, put a ribbon on these guys, they're done. Uh, apparently, they, they don't think so. Well, um, bless them for that, bless them for that. So let me just take you back, and then we'll go forward. Sure. 2019, just a little less than two years ago, this deal between Air Canada and Air Transat was announced. At that time, it was valued at almost $800 million. But to make the deal work, you had to have the approval of the Canadian uh, tr um, uh, Canada Transit Board Agency, and you also had the approval of European agencies, and that's because they give the rights to fly in their airspace, what have you. We finally got Canadian approval right in the middle of February, uh, but we didn't get European approval. And it seemed, you know, through the rumors, through the grapevine, that something was going on. And on Good Friday, just four days ago, five days ago, uh, Air Canada said, look, the European Union won't approve it the way we have it planned. They want us to make a whole lot of changes. And look, we're just not interested in doing that. So we're walking away from the deal, now valued only at $190 million. So 75% of the value of the deal had gone away. We're walking away. We're going to give Air Transat $12.5 million for playing ball. Uh, we actually, in the original deal, had a clause that if they signed a deal with somebody else within a year, they had to pay us money. We're going to waive that. We're just going to wish Air Transat the best. Now, why? Air Transat needs cash, and it doesn't need a buck and a half or $5. It needs $500 million by June 30th, or it ceases to exist. 
It has a number of debts that have to that are coming due. It needs to have some kind of a repayment schedule. They were going to get that from Air Canada, but Air Canada has walked away. Uh, so who's going to come to the rescue? And this is really uh, now the question for the federal government and possibly the Quebec government, because Air Transat is based in Quebec. Are they going to come forward with the financing plan that allow this airline to keep going? Keep in mind, Air Transat hasn't flown a single flight since January 1st and isn't likely going to have any flights until at least the middle of June, possibly the end of June, you know, six months of having planes parked and no revenue. Meanwhile, by the way, people wanting cash refunds, you know, that doesn't help your cash position in the least. Well, yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that because these new federal regulations that uh, the, the federal government announced a little while ago that uh, you can't have unhappy customers. you got to give them money. You can't give them vouchers. You can't say, well, you know, here's a free meal, you know, at the airport or anything like that. So that's only adding to their debt load. But uh, it right. just seemed unusual to me that these guys said, yeah, we're just going to throw all these things in the barn, and uh, when this whole thing is over, uh, we're going to start flying again. Is, is, is the public that forgiving? <laughs> well, yes. Air Transat has a lot of goodwill associated with it. Remember, Bill, this is kind of what we'll call a charter carrier. They don't really run day-to-day flights on a regular schedule, but they run a lot of flights north-south during the winter months to Caribbean and Mexican destinations, east-west to Europe during the summertime. And I know lots of people who have loved flying with Air Transat and would like to fly with them again. They don't have a big fleet of planes. I think it's 38 or 39 planes, um, and they don't offer a, a huge number of routes, but those routes that they have really satisfy consumers a lot. It's just that right now we are not letting people travel, or if we do, we put such burdens on them that most people say, well, I don't, I don't want to have to get a COVID test here and a COVID test there, and I don't want to quarantine when I come back. I'll, I'll just wait. So the whole industry is in, in rough shape. It is worth noting that yesterday on the Canadian stock market, both Air Canada and Air Transat shares were traded. Air Transat shares went down because they, people looked at it and said, where are they going to get this cash from? But oddly, Air Canada shares went up because I think investors said, well, now you don't have those problems to deal with. Not that you are out of the woods. You've got lots of problems yourself, Air Canada, but you don't have these on top of it. Uh, it wouldn't shock me, Bill, if a year from now or two years from now, once we kind of get back to some normal in travel, that these two companies may come together again. But the key question is, can Air Transat find the financing to keep itself going in the meantime? Exactly. Marvin, as always, thanks so much for this. Appreciate the time today. Glad to be with you, Bill. Take care. Marvin Ryder at the Good School of Business at McMaster University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.